0: Don't know what it is to be champions.
1: Oklahoma, Welcome to Through the Keyhole and OU Fan Podcast. You are listening to Peyton Guthrie. And as always, I'm joined with uh, Matt Burden and Alan Kenney from the East Coast. He's the East Coaster uh, of the group. He keeps everyone uh, in in uh you know in check. He's with with the coastal elites, he knows all the trends and stuff before <laughs> they happen. He lets us know all the cool stuff that's coming out. Um how are y'all guys doing? Uh uh Alan, start us off, man. How you doing?
2: Oh man, I'm getting by. Uh you know, no complaints here, you know, uh ready for the season to start. Um actually watched a little preseason football, which is something I try to make a point never to do, but uh Ooh. my curiosity got the best of me. So uh did a little of that today. But no, I am uh I'm doing well, man. Doing real well, ready to uh talk football.
0: I'm uh I'm doing okay, man. I'm I'm doing all right. Uh played golf today out at uh, John Conrad there in Midwest city. Uh, They did a whole bunch of like renovations to it. It looks amazing. So if anyone wants to go out there, (laughs) I guess free advertising here for John Conrad, (laughs) but but, it (laughs) looks, it looks fantastic. They've renovated the crap out of it. Like it looks amazing out there, but uh, yeah, did that. And I'm looking right now, guys, I think I'm getting like a, like a little high school zit on the side of my uh, side of my nose right there. Like, uh, so that's good. That's good. We're we're doing great here. We're just <laughs> no complaints.
1: If anyone has their uh, home remedy for zits, please email that to right, uh <laughs> <keyholesports yeah. laughs> at gmail.com. Let me know. Help Matt out. Help him out. I think as a kid we all, I was always told like you cut a potato or something and put it on your face. I mean, I, I'm not for sure all the uh, all the home I, remedies. Dip dip your
2: finger in beer and rub that on there. So you could use some Vanessa House uh There we beer. go.
0: Wow. Yeah. There we or go. A that comes through circle. What what can Vanessa beer not do? Let's be honest.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Well, one thing it can't do is uh uh protect uh University of Texas football's hopes and dreams as the upcoming season as it seems uh, <laughs> they've had some pretty rough um scrimmaging things. I think they've had a potential starter wide receiver and in inside offensive line seem to go down for the season at this point in time. Uh you had a potential uh, was it Hall um suspended indefinitely but who knows how long indefinitely it's really going to be. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the one thing Vanessa house doesn't seem to be able to do is, is uh, keep Texas. Uh, it's,
0: Leslie, uh, I-, I typed your symptoms into the thing up here and it says you could have network connectivity problems,
1: man. It sucks. Uh, sucks for them, I-, I guess, but you know, good for Oklahoma.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, those are I'm like, well, uh, you know, I, I you always want to be the team at full strength in my opinion. Um, but like, yes, true. I mean, those were, uh, those two guys are, I mean, they were big. Uh, I mean, I believe his name is Junior Ang- Angular, I believe is how you pronounce his last name. Uh, yes. You know, he, that, I believe they are working him at center and, and, you know, maybe on the interior there. One of the, you know, he has maybe two or three years of starting experience. Um, and that's just one position where Texas is painfully thin. So uh, we might be seeing more of those touted uh, freshmen coming up here soon. Nay, you feel bad for because this was going to be kind of like his shot to, uh, you know, kind of. I mean, he had a really big year, obviously, at Wyoming last year. Uh, this was a chance to kind of step up in the spotlight, uh, take some pressure there off of Xavier Worthy and uh, give them a real, really tough one-two punch. Um, and then uh, uh, Ajayi Hall. I'm not sure how you pronounce his first name, but uh, that one, I mean, you know like it's kind of one of these things where um you know nick saban he, he, i mean the signs were all there as to what what you might be getting into now to be fair if he was if he really did remove the boot from his car if that was what uh got him in trouble man like that's one of those ones where man like it's it's hard not to feel pretty sympathetic there
0: yeah i think i think i stand with him if that was what he was trying mm-hmm. to do he gets a boot <laughs> Gets a boot on his car. I stand with him. It's similar to, uh, <laughs> uh, Eddie brought up on the morning show, uh, last week with me. It's, it's like when Joe Mixon ripped up the parking tickets in front of the, uh, the parking attendant. <laughs> like, right. like, like I think everyone can agree that we, we do not like parking, uh, attendance, you know, so I will, uh, I'll be okay if it, if it was just that. If feels was like, Man, I mean, I got to get home. Like, I just want to get home. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. like what, what is this? I just parked here. I was going to be here for just a couple seconds. I was running in and grabbing something. Now I have a boot on my car. I'm sympathetic towards that as well.
1: Yeah, I guess that could be a little bit different. I mean, the, the boot stuff. Yeah, that sucks. Anyone. They're always so aggressive. Like, <laughs> yeah. make, make more parking spots or something. I don't know. It just seems like too much of an aggressive thing. But for that dude, it seems like it's just thing after thing. I mean, there's inside rumors that he's been skipping, skipping meetings and trying to get other players to skip meetings with him and stuff like that. And Texas just for some reason won't cut the cord, <laughs> but yeah. I guess you need talent. Yeah. You just need talent and you hope you can hang on to him for a year uh, until you start figuring other stuff out. But enough talking about the team down South. Uh, we're going to try to preview our best and set expectations uh, the best way we can for the university, of Oklahoma uh, offensive production for 2022. Uh, Alan did a great job of writing down some uh, some questions and stuff. He wants us to kind of pitch around and throw around here. Uh, so we'll run, walk these through one by one. I have some side notes. I'm going to try to uh, work in there as best I can based on what we have here. Um, but the first one is how well do we see the offense as a whole uh, as a whole picked up the running game? I mean, I, I, I know from this Baylor st- style of, of play, the bear raid, they're going to be just a lot more running opportunities especially if we're really looking at 70 to 75 plays a game you're just going to get more plays out there um more of that zone read uh not zone read more of that zone blocking get guys to the edge one up and cut and go and make a move do we think OU you has the has the roster on campus to make that much of a drastic change work i mean from a a pinning and pulling and power run scheme under Riley to more of a zone blocking that Denver Broncos stock. I mean, that's how I have it in my brain. Denver Broncos, mm-hmm. Houston Texans back in the day. Uh, running scheming. Mean, do we think oh, OU can do that immediately? Or is there going to be some fits and starts? Or is this scheme just kind of cover up some, uh, some uh, potential uh, issues on the offensive line?
2: Yeah, you know, I've actually got an article coming out on Crimson and Cream Machine. You might it might even be out by the time you're listening to this. Um, it's about some of the differences in how Jeff Levy kind of uh builds and structures an offense versus Lincoln Riley. Um, and part of it, you know, I mean, Levy tends to be like kind of lean very heavily on the run game. It's an RPO based system, obviously. Uh first part of that is always the run part, you know. Uh so Looking at that, if you it's kind of a a case where, you know, the default is almost we're going to run it unless we, uh, you know, until we can make you uh, kind of adjust, whereas uh, Lincoln Riley, you know, I mean, was more of a kind of constraint based system where he was, you know, had a lot of the same kind of concepts, but would be bringing them out of, uh, different looks and different form, uh, you know, formations personnel. So what you end up seeing was, um, you know, not so much, uh, a, a, you know, a mentality if we're going to run the ball so much as, you know, building one off the other in terms of throwing and passing. Um, you know, I have no idea. I mean, I, I, I assume Bill Biedenboe is very excited about coaching this style of blocking up front, right. Uh, for the running schemes, um, you know, but I, it's a kind of one of those things where, you know, you know, these guys have been, uh, you know, trained in the zone gap scheme for, you know, some of them four or five years, you know, yeah. I mean, how, how quickly are they able to kind of get, uh, get their bearings in this? That To me, it's a, I mean, it's a big question.
1: Yeah, I mean that—that's the part of it too. I mean, you have to think it's going to be better than anything was last year. I mean, the the, the offensive line was such a mess last year. I mean, the, they run in fits and starts. Any sort of good running game seemed to only happen when Kennedy Brooks was on the field. I think that maybe not even it seems to be. I think that was just what it was. Mm-hmm. So he's the yeah. only one who could make that make that stuff work, and he was getting hit very quickly, very early on, and kind of getting moved around. And it was able just through his own. You know talent and athleticism kind of make things through there i mean i, I know the texas game is just a, a clear example of some of that stuff i mean they had to do that that little uh fake pitch counter thing that uh you mm-hmm. won the game on it, it was a lot of any of the running games kind of felt like it needed to be smoke and mirrors to a certain degree uh and maybe that was just uh and you know riley being somewhat hesitant to just let it rip I Mm -hmm. I guess the the quota, uh, Les Miles, Uh, uh, you know, just kind of roll it down and kind of go for it. But I I don't know. I I hope to see more guys downfield, more offensive linemen, three to five yards downfield on running plays. I don't want to talk about the RPO stuff, but hopefully on running plays, they're getting more downhill and kind of pushing some guys around. But I would say defensively, the strength of the Big 12 would be defensive line as a whole. So maybe. It, it, it's going to be a, maybe some tough sledding uh, potential in that way. Um,
0: Are we going um, to see this real quick question? Are yeah. we going to see that? Cause I remember that being a big deal when Bryles was at Baylor, whereas like, it was almost the, like the team in basketball, that full court press, full court presses every single play. And they're going to foul you. They're going to foul you a bunch, but they're going to bank on you not calling it that much. Is that going to be what the offensive line is like where, Hey, we might have a couple guys downfield, like on every single <laughs> passing play, because like, it's an RPO. But like, we're gonna make sure or we're gonna make them call it every single time, you know. And one of those things. Because I remember that was always the big gripe with Briles at at Baylor.
2: Yeah, you know, and I'm like the worst person to to speak on this because I hate RPOs, honestly. <laughs> like, yeah, they, yeah. like, I just I feel like they should, you know, adopt the NFL rule. Uh, where it's even an even stricter box there to keep the uh, offensive lineman in. um, So, you know, it's, it's a good question and it's something it's, it's a risk you're always going to run, but I mean, it is kind of one of those things too, though, where, I mean, every single play, maybe not, but uh, they, they see, <laughs> refs seem to give the uh, lineman, you know, quite a bit of leeway when it comes to that getting out past three yards, you know?
1: Yeah, and for those who don't know, the NFL is one yard. And I think there's also, like, a a box sideline. I mean, obviously the hash marks are, are tighter there. And, and so, I mean, and there's also – I'm not for sure if the line of scrimmage uh, rules are the same, like how you end the line of scrimmage and stuff. I don't, I'm not sure if that's one-to-one as well. But, yeah, I mean, it's so – important. I remember Mike Stoops would complain about this and everyone would kind of, like, you know, hand wave it. It's like, oh, it's just Mike Stoops. But, I mean, he is kind of right. I mean, how are you supposed to defend this stuff if you have offensive linemen five yards down the down the line sometimes uh you know upfield like you're there's you can't key off of anything there's right. nothing you can do as as a defense uh to continue on about the about the running game what will the distribution of carries look like i know uh you had written down here the old miss had four players get over 100 rushers 100 rushes last year With uh what was that corral matt matt uh, corral having the most I, well, I for one do not see uh, Dylan Gabriel leading uh, carries. <laughs> That's <laughs> on the trouble. If he is man. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's big time trouble, um, dude. I I would say Eric Gray is going to have the most touches overall, but I I I really have a hard time thinking more than three people should be getting the should be getting the rock at any point in time for this team. I mean, it's like Gray, Major, and then Barnes. I, I know Salt Salt Truck has been getting a lot of really recent publication about some hype and stuff for him but i don't know if you just want to kind of save one of those shirts potentially uh i'm just not for sure but to me it's you're going to have three guys getting that and you know dylan's doing stuff if you have to but i I just don't know i'm not i mean i I guess i guess i still have lincoln riley in my head so much 50 plays versus 75 plays so there's just going to be more plays to, to go around
2: yeah i mean with you know with Ole Miss watching, you know, from what I've seen last year, I mean, they didn't have like a number one guy. You know, I mean, they, they really did split the carries pretty, fairly fairly evenly, you know, with kind of the two guys who emerged, I guess, as their top threats would have been uh, Jerry uh, Jer- 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 Neely and uh, Snoop Connor. I, I, you know, I imagine we end up seeing something similar with OU this year in terms of, uh, eric Gray, and then i guess marcus major who sounds like he's playing you know kind of showing out in uh, scrimmages just kind of the your early practice i guess would be the way to put it um so, you know, you're looking at those two Barnes, you know, another guy to keep in mind too, is uh Bino Thompson, I believe yes. is how you pronounce his or what he goes by. I mean, I know, I believe he's coming on as a preferred walk on uh, transferring in from central Florida, but he's got some experience in the system. They wouldn't mm-hmm. have, they wouldn't have brought him in if they didn't think he could in, you know, in some way be useful or provide good depth. So that's just, that's just one more to keep in mind. Um, I I look at the system and gosh, man, it seems like it would be so good for Marcus Major's running style. It's just a matter of is he, you know, kind of getting him, keeping him on the field, you know?
1: Yeah, that's always been his thing. I mean, and also too it's like, can he lift his feet up as he tries to run <laughs> through contact? You know, can I see a broken tackle? Because the dude's been built like a small tank the entire time he's been there, and seems very explosive. Has very good testing numbers and stuff. Just doesn't seem to get it figured out uh, and that could just be and eric great as well like maybe they're not quote unquote good players for systems in which there's going to be traffic in front of them you know like mm-hmm. this is more there's your alley run down that alley as fast as yeah. you can um you know under riley they there was more cutting to be had there's more movement to be had because guys were being moved at different levels and stuff and maybe that will work out the thing i kind of struggle with is to me if If you're an all-conference type of player, in my opinion, if you're an all-conference type of player, there are certain positions in which you should be able to show out in. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is me being like an old hat or something. But if like Eric Gray or Marcus Major were an all-conference type running back talent, we would have already seen that type of thing already, in my opinion. Even if you could say they're totally miscast in the system they were in last year, it's still kind of – a quote unquote, and, and maybe there's a high school running back guy listening to us right now, or a college guy, you can email me or tweet at me and let me know I'm an idiot. It seems like one of the more simpler positions. Once you have the ball in your hand, um, you're running off a of blocks, you're running off keys, you're running to color. Sometimes or it's running daylight. So I don't know if gray or major are going to make that much of an adjustment, uh, beyond just what the scheme can provide them. Uh, and that's in my mind why I'm so excited. Um, just about Barnes. Cause he's new. And I haven't, I haven't my heart hasn't been broken by him yet. <laughs> and maybe that happens, but I mean, do you, Matt, do you think I'm off base on that by like, I'm not saying they're like bad players or anything. I'm just thinking like we would have seen it by now. I mean, especially Marcus major running backs usually don't take that long before it happens. You know, usually it's boom. We see something immediately.
0: Right. And Alan mentioned too, like, it, it's really just about getting them on the field, but I feel like once he's gotten his opportunities, he, he he's done well, like the past two uh, bowl games, I feel like he's played great. Like he played great against Florida. He played great against mm-hmm. Oregon. Uh, in that last bowl game, it's just, you know, the academically ineligible, uh, yeah. you can't play like the first half of the year. And then I can imagine you're kind of in the doghouse too, and not getting many opportunities once you come back too. So um I would, I, for him for him i think it's just getting on the field and like capitalizing on those opportunities and i think i definitely think he could i'm with you on eric gray leading in touches because i feel like he's gonna be catching a fair amount of like swing passes out there on, on this office too. so and stuff like that like kind of bubble screens and stuff like that so but yeah it, as far as like the freshman i'm with you on barnes the the um the tallie walker kid is interesting to me he played really well in the yeah. spring game. <laughs> yeah. He played really yeah. well in the spring game. And as far as like a bruising back, like I'm not saying he's going to come in and get uh, those 100 rush attempts that you, that you talked about, but like say a guy like Marcus major doesn't like, he he doesn't capitalize on those opportunities or, you know, finds himself where he can't get on the field. I, I think Tyree Walker could like kind of um, could kind of fill in that role, like that kind of power back style.
1: Yeah, I mean, he could be like that goal line type thing. The thing I would really hate to see, and, and miss, again, this is me, like my PTSD to a certain degree from OU fandom. If we have to have like, if OU has to have like a special package
2: mm-hmm.
1: for third and shorter or goal line stuff, like they can't just get, they can't punch it in with the normal guys, you know. Then I'm gonna start kind of like wringing my hands a little bit. Yeah, like if we bring in that running back to come in, he's like, "Here's our bowling ball guy." He's only yeah. brought in on fourth and ones or something. It's like you know the belldozer experience all over again. Uh, I, I don't know how I'd feel about that normally because you'd want to hope you can just line up and get a yard, right? Just yeah, <laughs> just just run the
2: ball, right? You know, I mean, like yeah, that that always drives me crazy.
1: I think it's a. Uh, I think the quote is "run the damn ball." <laughs> <laughs> if you <laughs> um yeah and and what do we think about gabriel should they plastic wrap him i'm sure should should he be in bubble wrap i mean is is this going to be it's again here's the thing too uh if if gabriel goes down uh oh fucked Uh, Mm. there's there's no there's there's nothing they can do about any point in time i i know there's some people when when uh, when Booty first signed who are kind of like, oh, I've watched his tape. He looks pretty good. I'm like, I don't, I I don't know, but yeah, don't <laughs> and, that. and and the pit transfer is like, yeah, he could get you through maybe some spot duty type of thing or like if OU's up late, he needs to be in. I don't think he, I don't think he should be shouldering the load for any point in time. But if OU is running some zone some zone stuff, then does it become like useless, kind of like that? that last year of Trevor Knight where like he would just never keep it. And like teams would just know not to play the zone.
2: Yeah. That's, I mean, that's one thing I wonder about now. I look at it and like, let's, I mean, again, this is kind of, you kind of have to answer this question based on like you mentioned your risk tolerance regarding Gabriel's availability. Um. I mean like let's say it, okay, if Davis Bevel was OU's starting quarterback, Gabriel you know wasn't able to play the entire season. Like what, what would you be your prediction for OU's record?
1: Oh it's... depends just how bad he is. I mean, he seemed decent in that bowl game. So let's let's say seven five.
2: Right. right. Six okay. six,
1: something like that.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, you, you kind of start calibrating it that way though. Kind of, you know what I mean? Like, okay. If your expectation is like nine or 10 wins with, with Gabriel starting and you're getting, I mean, you know, you're kind of, you start kind of thinking about that way about how, how much you want to risk it. Um, You know, to me, I think it, it, it just seems like that's kind of got to be part of your offense and you just kind of got to roll the dice, man. Like, it's it's too easy to defend teams anymore with um you know playing playing kind of ten on eleven you just can't yeah. do it anymore like so I mean do you have to you know I mean MacRae ran 150 times last year for uh Ole Miss like like Gabriel there is no reason to do to do that but I mean you know four or five times a game seems seems reasonable and seems like they could probably probably live with that.
1: Yeah, it could be like a uh I'm 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 Googling as fast as I possibly can. Uh it could be kind of like a Baker Mayfield type situation. Like he didn't have a ton of rushing, did he?
2: Mm, you know, I mean he gate he did he ran well enough to where like you kind of had to respect it or honor it, you know, but I mean he wasn't I mean he wasn't in like Kyler Murray's or, or Jalen Hurts's, you know, uh stratosphere as a runner.
1: Yeah. So according to Sports Reference, uh, at Oklahoma, Baker ran had three hundred and sixteen rushes. I'm assuming sacks are in that. Yes. So I, yeah. I don't know. get I, yeah, I, I really can't tell how often he actually ran the the football in any way, shape, or form. But I don't. I don't think Baker. I mean, I think it should be like five rushes a game type of thing, not including scrambles, just to keep that zone option there. Because the RPO, you need the QB to be able to move off platform. To, to get that defense to move around and stuff like that you can't just have him stand back there as a statue but you know you gotta run your wrist matrix <laughs> yeah. if he goes down is that worth four games you know, to pick this up or can oklahoma line up and like we said this blow somebody off the football and hand the ball off to one of the talented running backs
2: <laughs> yeah
1: yeah and maybe those heavy run games come against like texas they come against I don't know. The more and more I'm hearing about Nebraska, the more and more I'm thinking maybe we're being silly <laughs> I think yeah. Nebraska uh, sh- <laughs> should be should be a uh, should be a game, um, and that's not good uh, if you're Scott Frost. Um, but you know, it, you know, getting later into the season against Baylor, Oklahoma State, teams with these really strong defensive lines, that's where you start seeing some of that QB run game. But but before that, I means against Kansas, stuff like that, Texas Tech, you you really should be able to live off of let's just play pretty basic, pretty vanilla and, and kind of move the football the way that we want to, hopefully, at least. I mean, that's the, that's the goal. Um, what's next year? We kind of answered it, but let's just do it anyway. Do we think the o line's going to be better prepared for this season? Matt, I mean, what's your, d- d- are the big boys, I mean, have they, they've, they've been eating at the food trough, they've been <laughs> working out, they're wish midi, everyone's talking about, this is it. They're flipping tires and stuff. I mean, like they're doing different stuff. I mean, are it, is the, will the O-line be better?
0: Uh, I, from the line. I think so. I, I do <laughs> think so. From, uh <laughs> from just the, the Schmidty perspective too, like Andrew Rame said it like the local media days that like they did more in like six months than they did his, his entire time before placed in the weight room and stuff like that. And also I think that uh from everything, everything I've heard, like I mean, we talked about it, last week on the um on the morning show to apparently like Savion bird is just yes a man like he is just a man like he is too he's gonna be too talented to like keep off the line like they'll put him somewhere he's just too talented to not be on the line so um i i have a good feeling about it i think anton harrison kind of gets a bad rep a little bit i think he's going to be really good uh he has he's had his ups and downs but I mean, he's also like, like the first time we saw him get action, like he was a true freshman. So like a true freshman playing, you know, left tackle in any, like any college football game is, is tough. Uh, And he, you know, had his ups and downs that year, has ups and downs last year and looking for that third year, kind of everything kind of settles in and, you know, getting some better workout. Uh, getting a better workout regimen with uh, with Schmitty and everything like that should help him a ton. So I I do think the offensive line will be better. I'm not, I'm not saying that they're going to be world beaters or Joe Moore award winners or anything like that, but uh, it should definitely be improved. Yeah. You know, I've looked at it and
2: I mean, clearly like just watching last year, the offensive line was not as good as in years past, but yeah, I, at the same time, I mean, you know, I'm looking at Bill Connolly's SP numbers here, SP plus numbers here. I mean, he has OU offensive SP, SP plus third last year, you know, year before. Yes. I mean, like, so it was a, the a third again the year before, you know? I mean, I guess my point being, like, is this, like, did we over, I don't know, were it, did we kind of, um, make too much out of the offensive line struggles in those, in those years or or to call them struggles, like maybe instead saying like they went from, you know, five NFL caliber players to two, you know, (laughs) or so, I mean, you know, you got, you got, you were getting like a solid B instead of an A. I mean, I, I don't know. Um, And I guess, you know, my other question too would be Peyton is our, as our powerlifting guy, you know, I mean, Uh You tell me, like, do you really feel like uh, a strength coach can make that big of a difference, particularly just in one year?
1: Uh, the dumb meathead portion of me, the, the answer is yes. Uh, in, in the in the dumb in the like, like like I said, the the meathead part of it. Um, the the thing that you have to think about is I'm trying to do this somewhat politically. Um. So OU, if you look at like photos and stuff, people are always posting the photos and like, oh, wow, look at this. There's so much different and stuff like that. They don't look too much different unless you can, unless you're kind of knowing what you're looking at. There's a lot of the guys, their chests, their delts, all that kind of stuff's kind of built up pretty well. They look strong. Like they look like big, strong dudes to a certain degree. But if you put their, their, their back to back stuff, you can see that ev- basically everyone across the board and this looks, this if you just look at their weights it's their pure weight numbers that it backs this up their trunks have been are, are much more solid and I, this is i do man i hate geeking out about this stuff <laughs> their their trunks are much more solid and you can see much more leg just girth to a certain degree and it makes me think maybe due to the potential of injury wiley didn't have them underneath the squat bar as much because people you know squatting to full depth people like that's bad for your knees bad for your back maybe they weren't deadlifting as much a bunch of different things you know kind of thinking hey you're not going to build that way and there are some thought processes of saying hey i i can get you to move your 80 of your max a whole bunch of times and that's going to be more football ready right like you're more just endurance for it because that's something you could mm-hmm. see with riley's crews usually they could run all day long to a certain degree it's just they couldn't, get, they couldn't run through something, like if you ran into something. I do think the team has had a physical body composition change across the board. It just looks like Smitty's had them underneath barbells, and it's like you're going to put this on your back and you're going to squat this X amount of times, X amount of sets, and you're going to burn through this. And from what we're hearing, if they're really saying we're doing more than anything else that I've ever done, then that would back it up without them getting really super technical into what they're doing because that's someone who does lift quite a bit. Um, there is almost nothing quite like squat fatigue. Like if someone's making you lift 95%, right. yeah. five by 10, yeah, three times a week or something like that, and nothing's going to get you stronger just entirely very quickly, um, uh, the thing that backs that the thing that needs to back that up even more, and I, I can't remember the person's name, is just uh, the nutritional side of that. Because you can be lifting, but obviously they're getting some sort of different nutritional advice to pack on that much weight. I mean, we're looking at 20, 30 pound increases for everyone across the board in, the, in, in under a year. Um, so I, I think that's there. Now, the thing becomes, can they hold up yeah. for 75 plays? That's the big gambit you have to play. And everything we've seen, I mean, everything I've read from uh, if if everyone wants to join the the Patreon for a Red Dirt Sport, he gives practice reports out that stuff he's hearing. I know Alan said he's heard some stuff. I'm hearing these are extremely intense practices, these are lightning fast yeah, practices. These very. are people who are they're like these are just extremely people are on top of it. Britt Venables is with every single position group and they're they're talking about the you know the 10 day gauntlet like this is the hardest 10 days you're going to have this entire season this 10 days at the rugby field if that's true we should be fine but that's the gambit you always play how much weight should i put on versus how much of my cardiovascular do i need to keep that's the stuff that's always hard for this for this for this crew
2: right you know and for me i mean whenever i hear like just your average fans start going off on, you know, strength and conditioning and coaches and, you know, Oh, well now, now Jerry Schmidt's back and whatnot. I mean, I always start rolling my eyes because we're not there. We don't see what they're doing. And on top of that, I mean, none of us are, I mean, that's just, that's like saying, you know, I've got this magic wand that I'm, I'm waving and who knows, maybe maybe, maybe it is Schmidt, maybe Benny Wiley really was a problem. Maybe not. I don't know. Uh, I'm not, I'm you know, I'm not qualified to make that kind of determination. Mm -hmm. Um, it but it is like just it's also one of those things too, though, where like I don't think Bill Beedenbow forgot how to be an offensive line coach, you know, but at the same time, the farther they got away from Schmidt being there, the offensive line just couldn't push people around, wasn't as physical. I mean, that's the part of that's the kind of thing that. I could see out there, you know, more guys getting blown off the ball, not delivering the hits, you know, taking them. Uh, I mean, that—that's the part where it's just it—it's hard for me to reconcile the idea that there—that there would not have been a problem in the in the strength and conditioning.
1: Yeah, what I what I've been heard like after the Joe War, I mean, after your Cody Forge and your Orlando Browns, so like after NFL, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. offensive linemen left. The, the term that always got heard and this is from from red dirt sport was always um they're just furniture movers like they're just moving people around and kind of sliding stuff around and not necessarily like punishing and delivering yeah. now do you want you know your your left tackle or brown getting four personal panel personal foul penalties a game no probably not but it is setting the tone
0: <laughs> it is mm-hmm. like
1: it's kind of like what matt was saying earlier Eventually they're gonna have to stop calling this. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna keep dropping this dude to the ground. Eventually they'll say, well, that dude needs to do something for himself. <laughs> like yeah.
2: I well, and getting, on top of that, though, job. it wasn't like last year they weren't getting personal foul penalties or they weren't. That's get, true. You
1: know? That's true. So I mean, and there's, it's like, di- and
0: there's different rules for different guys. Orlando Brown is so good that you can live with. It's like okay, mm-hmm. try not to do that anymore because. <laughs> We know that you're, even though we know that you're going to produce the goods uh more often than not because you're a, a great player, right? Right.
1: Yeah, that's the thing too. Is like, do they have that? Maybe it is just a mentality. I mean, some of this stuff, regardless of like, I mean, I, I think I, I think there has been a physical change from the mm. team full cell, but it could just be a mentality of it. I mean, that stuff does bleed into these guys. They buy into it all. I've done interviews with football players and with you know baseball players and stuff and they and you try to ask them a question i remember i, I was talking to uh uh james winchester about the joe mixon thing mm-hmm. uh, and this was a while ago obviously because those are two names <laughs> who yeah. were in the nfl um and his whole thing was like yeah it sucked but he was one of our guys like he was in the you know he was in the locker room and i remember i was i also kind of asked him about the tight because t- at the time he was on the james winchester's currently on the chiefs and i asked him about tyreek kills like how do you Rationalize some of that stuff, and it's almost like there's just a two different worlds. There's a locker room, and then there's whatever happens outside the locker room. And if it happens outside the locker room, they really don't care to a certain degree. uh You know, can you help it, us it,
0: win football games? That's it. Correct. Can yeah. you help us win football games? Yeah.
1: And, and sometimes you know, that was a little disheartening to kind of hear that, but. It also lets you know just the amount of buy-in those type of guys could have. Like if you're if you're hearing this from from if, if Schmidty is being more holding people accountable, making people quote unquote suffer <laughs> for making mm. these types of simple mistakes. And you just have you just have this stuff from Brent Venable screaming at them, saying this is not good enough. This is not good enough. This is not good enough over and over and over again while still being positive. I mean, if you just, if you were to read a transcript of what Brett Reynolds was saying to them, sometimes you gotta be thinking, man, he must think we're horrible. But then mm. you read everything from the players are like, this is a great family atmosphere. I'm having so much fun. This is, a, I haven't had this much fun uh, since high school. And I'm like, man, this, if you just read the the words, you would think these dudes are going through like a hellacious boot camp from a guy they can't please uh, in mm. any way, shape yeah. or form. But it seems like they they've been completely bought in on that side of it. So I think that could be something where you do see you do see that drive, and like you said, the further and further they got away from it, and the more they got into the new regime of of Riley and of a you know Wiley, it kind of got away from the, the toughness, and I even hate that term, but yeah, me too. The, the yeah. grit, the toughness, you, yeah. the whatever, did seem to kind of dif- disappear. And it seemed more just like, well, I'm just doing my job, so the other guy's going to do his job, and then, you know, it didn't seem like there was that extra drive somebody into the ground (laughs) yeah
2: and i mean like the mental the mental side of it like that you're talking about with accountability and push pushing your limits and stuff i mean by many accounts that wasn't is you know wiley didn't emphasize that to the same degree (laughs) that uh schmidt does so you know i mean i guess that's just one
1: other uh thing to keep in mind going forward yeah and if you just want to look at the differences I mean, look at A&M. Before Schmidt got there and had these left. I mean, those dudes all came to play and beat uh, Alabama multiple times. I mean, like those guys <laughs> were built certain ways. Now, when it comes to some of this stuff, I- I'm almost to a degree that – I mean, I think strength and conditioning is obviously very important, especially nutrition – But at a certain point in time, it's just physical uh, maturation. Like you're you're getting kids at 16 year olds, and by the time they're leaving, they're 22 year olds. That's a massive Mm -hmm. amount of just physical development. That's just their body changing. Same thing for emotional development and everything. Things are changing. You're just rolling the dice. Uh, And the O line just takes a little longer. I mean, you're getting, I mean, literally, you're getting like six foot eight, 320 pound 16 year olds. I don't even know how they can walk without falling down. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, do you remember being that awkward and weird, like it's hard to move your body, and, and it's like giants doing that? I mean, it, it sometimes this takes a while for that kind of stuff to to come through. I mean, look at Orlando Brown now; he still looks weird just walking. Like, <laughs> don't know how you can make it work, but you know, it just takes time to kind of develop all that stuff. Right. Uh, that, that was a big long segment on the running game and offensive line, and we've got one question for the passing game. But uh, I, I've got a few other notes here. Is the plan to make the, in the is the plan in the a game to make Mims the primary target? So I want to answer that question with uh, it has to fucking better lutely be. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see anyone. I don't see a name in which it makes me think yes that guy should be getting catches instead of the best wide receiver. Uh, I, I know there's always kind of a thing where it's like oh well our third option is the one who's open. It's like yeah well. If Mims is in single coverage, he's open. <laughs> like, right, you need to be thinking man. about it in that perspective in my mind. Or you need to be manufacturing ways for him to get open. He needs to be in the slot. He needs to be on the outside. He needs to be coming out from the backfield. He's your best dude. He needs the football. Nine out of ten times with the ball's in the air. Uh, Matt, what, what's your idea about this?
0: <laughs> no, yeah. Marvin Mims needs to be the – he needs to be the number one guy. <laughs> and plain, plain and simple. You got to – you got to make ways to get him the football. Like you said, Manufacture ways to get him uh, the ball, because I mean, Hey, we, we've seen it when, uh, when you get the ball in his hands, good things, good things tend to happen. Good things tend to happen when you get him the football. So um, yeah, I, I want to see a lot of, of Marvin Mims targets this season. And, and like you said too, I mean, just look at the Texas game. I mean, yeah, if he's in single coverage, he's open. He's just, you just throw it up to him. He made two, huge catches when guy was all over him, but he came, he came up with the football. So um, yeah, no, he, he, he better be, I'm with you. He he better be getting uh, the lion's share of the targets.
2: Yeah. Like looking back at last season, I guess here was kind of what I was more kind of going for too, though, when talking about this, I mean, looking at last year, OU's catches, right. The top five guys. 39 35 35 32 32 that was hazelwood woods williams mims hall right then you know you look over at at Ole miss last year and Dontario drummond not exactly like an all-star 76 catches the next the next most was 20 you know pardon me uh jerry needy had 32 then there's 26 so i mean you've got clearly like a primary option the year before that when they had elijah moore man i mean even yep. more 86 catches in eight games so you know you're talking about just a different uh, i mean it, you know having like this one guy now some of that is stuff like Ole Miss used a lot of that, uh, touch pass, you know, you send the receiver in motion across the yes. line. So, I mean, you know, he probably Don Drummond, just based on what I saw, I mean, he was getting at least one or two of those a game. Right. So, you know, you add that up, that's almost 20 catches, right. Because of how they, how they score that. Um, but I guess, you know, it's more, I don't think Riley was really necessarily trying to scheme men's open, if you know what I mean. Like, whereas I think that that's maybe more what we're going to see this year in the passing game.
1: Yeah, I wrote down those same numbers too, just for the uh, the past three years and which I have it down as Levy being offensive coordinator. So we'll go through OU. In 2019, well, 2021, we had that. We had the 39, 35, mm-hmm. 35, 32. And then one of the 32 is being the H back. <laughs> which, right, hey, yeah. Love Hall, think he's great. I don't know if he should be uh, your fourth overall leading receiver in catches. Uh, in 2020, it was 37, 37, 26, 25. Again, only 10 games, but as you said, old Mrs. Lead guy had a 86. And in 2019, it was 62, 43, 19, and 19. Now, the the, the main the bigger separation there is one of the 62 catches was CD Lamb. So mm-hmm. <laughs> you give him the football. <laughs> as much as humanly possible. Um, And then Ole Miss, as you said, you had 76 catches for the leading, 32 for a running back. So, hey, Eric Gray, come on down. 26 Mm -hmm. and 24. In 2020, you had 86, 27, 27, 25. Those were all wide receivers. Now, this is the one I want to see here. UCF in 2019 was 72, 51, 49. 31 and that 31 being running back much more evenly spread out and kind of like waterfall down the way you you kind mm-hmm. of like to see it your number 1 guy, your number 2 guy, your number 3 guy like all you know there's a separation but there's a they're they're within tiers of each other. The old miss stuff's like one guy has 90% of the catches. <laughs> yeah. In at UCF it was much more it was broken down the pie chart but everyone seemed to have their roles in and operated in that. I think what you could see is it being more like that but I think the question is, who? When did Levy have more input into the offensive play calling? Even though he was the OC, he played. You know, he coached under Heupel and Lane Kiffin, so he he obviously coached under two extremely offensive-coordinated, you know, minded mm-hmm. head coaches. So, is he more that UCF or is he more the Ole Miss? That is still to be seen at that point in time. And do you have a preference? I mean, do you think it needs to be? We've got our number one guy. You know, it's it's kind of like the uh, uh, the uh, Steph Curry at uh, at Davidson. It, you know, it's Curry mm-hmm. and the screen setters. <laughs> is yeah. It's Curry in the same credit, or, or do we want somebody who's, you know, Mims has got seventy catches, but the next guy is fifty. You know, and then next the other guy has forty, and then it's like twenty five. I mean, do we want to see it stair step down like that? In, in your mind's eye, like the perfect mindset. I mean, the perfect mindset. So the guy who's open. <laughs> right. But, uh, would you like to see a just dist- a dip, more of a distribution with Mims team still being that number one?
2: Well, and you bring up a good point there insofar as sometimes like this, you know, this distribution is organic, you know, it's not necessarily, Oh, we're looking to get the ball to player X as much as player X keeps getting open. <laughs> and, yes. you know, I mean, he's the guy, he's the guy that's there. So, I mean, you know, that's, I, I think, I guess that's more of a uh, a question for me in, in my mind, but, you know, clearly Ole Miss last year had some stuff for Drummond where, you know, they would, for example, motion him into the backfield, then motion him out, uh, you know, try to kind of set up one-on-ones in space, that type of thing. Um, you know, I I wonder how much we're going to see of that. And if we're getting a lot of that with Mims, then I think his numbers are going to be, I mean, he, his number of touches is going to be, and catches is going to be far higher than, uh, then the next guy there. I mean, I don't know if there's an ideal way to do this in terms of distributing the ball. Um, you know, it's just it would be a huge departure from what we've seen the past couple of years with Mims because who's seems like he's mainly been used as a, a, a home run kind of deep ball threat.
1: Yeah, it's almost like if because I believe Mims, uh, in 2020 was. uh, 2021 yeah 2021 uh had 35 catches but Hmm. uh, but outpaced the other guys by like 300 yards receiving like if he's getting the football he's getting downfield like there isn't he he isn't catching the five yard outs (laughs) it's just a miss potentially that what we're saying you know know, because if you want to generate all these catches that means yeah you're doing those little pop passes you're doing wide receiver screens or something but can Mims even do that stuff
2: <laughs> yeah that's a that, and that's that's part of the other question too is yeah if you and i mean physically mims isn't a huge guy i mean can he hold up you know that there, there's a lot of that there too how many okay so i'm looking at it right now mims went from 50 targets in 2020 when you know you played a shortened schedule of course to just 41 last year like mm-hmm how like how does something like that happen you know I mean like and, and I mean still you know I mean a lot of production out of you know 705 yards last year but it just that's the kind of thing i look back in at last season and I'm just like what was going on man like how does it get to this point
1: i mean some of that too was just it does seem like just the pace of play for ou last year was just dreadful and i I And, you know, defenses were taking forever. Offenses were taking forever against OU. And Riley just kind of played into that. It didn't seem like he let that happen because, you know, there's that fear. And maybe, I guess if I were were to put it in a single term, how OU's coaching last year uh, was, was that it was very reactionary. So teams decided, hey, we're going to run, we're going to drain the play clock down to the last second every single time. So then Riley reacted to that, and he did it as well. Like he slowed his mm-hmm. pace down, thinking, "Hey, we need to hold on to this football because they're going to hold on to it." Instead of saying, "That's cool, you're going to do that, but we're still trying to score in ten plays." I and mean, we're, we're like, "We're going to try score in three plays." I'm sorry. Like you know, it did seem like there was, do there was a reactionary uh, element to OU last year, and and all of its play calling that did itself a disservice because when you're supposed to be a, a talented football team, especially in college. And Matt, uh, you know, Alan brings it up all the time. Supposed to just line up and kick ass. <laughs> They're supposed to be reacting to you to a certain degree. It did seem like OU allowed itself to be brought into other people's game plans against them. And maybe that was the issue there. I mean, th- that's the part I have. That That's the thing I have an issue with there. But I don't know there's there's wide receiver rooms or divas you, you just had Mario williams come in he's a brand new freshman he's a five-star you gotta give him touches you got Jalen coming back he's a five-star he's touched i mean maybe there's more of a maybe there's more like you know i don't know you gotta massage people's egos that we don't have to deal with we just see the football player
0: play. he was trying to <laughs> and also i feel like i feel like lincoln's was more i don't know maybe not letting Okay, it was with Baker and Kyler, obviously, because those guys had proven that they could, you know, kind of improvise a little bit and do well. With Spencer, it just it felt like it felt like to me he was scheming up something to take Spencer's like decision making or something out of it. It we didn't yeah, see him yeah. improvise like we saw Baker or we saw Kyler do. And I'm not I'm I'm not trying Baker and Kyler were number one overall picks in the NFL. Like I'm yes. not trying to I'm not trying to, you know, make that comparison, but it was it felt to me like with Spencer, it Lincoln changed to where he was like, "Okay, here's this play. We're gonna run this play. You throw it to this guy. He's gonna be open." Like it, it, that's right. really kind of what it felt like. It was almost like a you know, color in numbers, like the, the the paint and numbers pictures. Like, hey, this this play, he's gonna do this. He's gonna do this. He'll be open right here. Just throw it to here because you have yeah. crazy arm talent. I know you can throw it there. Throw it here. So I, I feel like yeah. exactly. So I feel like this might be more. I don't know. It's it's gonna be maybe not similar, but I think Lebby will trust Gabriel or whoever his quarterback is more now than maybe Lincoln did with Spencer, to like you know read stuff, read stuff. You know, don't not. Hey, don't we're not going to be like clockwork here where this guy's going to be open. And if he's not, then you see what happens. Like, oh, if a guy yeah. runs the wrong route, like Austin Stogner in Texas, like if the guy run, runs the wrong route, then oh, I'm throwing it to the spot you told me to, basically. Like, yeah, I don't know. That's just kind of what it felt like to me, anyways. Right.
1: Yes. Yeah, it was very much like a, uh, oh man, uh, Sean McVay and who's the quarterback that's now on the Lions? Goff, Jared Goff golf it it seemed kind of like that situation where it's like McVeigh was playing quarterback with a controller in his hand because <laughs> yeah. like you throw the x receiver at this time like, once yeah. that third foot hits that ball needs to be out type of a thing
2: I remember um, back in the day like Ben Roethlisberger's rookie season way back when mm-hmm. like they're talking about how they sold him like you have one read like if this guy isn't open you run the ball like run forward try to get a few yards like yes. we are giving you one read, that's it, you know?
1: And that, and that works when you're uh, built like a shit brick house. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Not so much when you're Spencer Rattler. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, So some of the stuff I want to kind of look at, uh, again, we talked about on the defense is a uh, points per play, uh, especially for offense. I think this is a, a good way to kind of boil some of this down. Now it's kind of a mass thing. So it can be somewhat, um, somewhat, seen by the amount of plays you have so points per play for ou in 2017 second second overall great 2018 first overall 2019 sixth 2027 2021 sixth
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> points
1: per play you're looking at top 10 defense top 10 offenses at times top two and not two <laughs> offenses on a point per play level um now going for levy uh, in 2019, UCF, ninth. 2020, uh, Ole Miss, 21st. 2021, Ole Miss, 58th. Regardless, <laughs> I think we're going, even though there were frustrations at times, with, it, especially the, let, let's say the last three years, 2019 with, with uh, Hertz was somewhat frustrating at times, but offensively, 2020, all lines gives issues, 2021, we've talked up and down about the issues for OU there being kind of lackluster. Still six, seventh, 7th, and 6th <laughs> points mm-hmm. per play. It's hard to look at that. And then now, now look at the two Ole Miss seasons and see 21st and 58th. Some of that is due to the amount of plays Ole Miss was running. Obviously kind of uh, cooks those numbers to a certain degree. But just the lethality of each play is going to drop down quite a bit. Like you, OU's not going to be looking to score on every play to a certain degree, uh, as it was under Lincoln Riley. Or, again, I guess, like, who is he? Because UCF ran a lot of plays, ran a ton of plays, and they were ninth in 2019. Would have been, you know, top 10 in the country, obviously, at ninth, then 21st and 58th. Do we think a fan base would be cool if OU dropping out top 10 of those types of numbers? I mean, because I think, like, man, if we were ever fans of Iowa uh yeah would we just like go outside way more often (laughs) (laughs) i mean what do you are are you prepared for a little bit of frustration uh just seeing the amount of plays and knowing there may be more just like quote-unquote junk calories to a certain degree in this offense uh you know i mean for
2: me like i look at it and you know levy was an offensive coordinator at ucf in 2019 where you know i mean UCF is going to have a, a talent advantage over most of the teams, right? In the A. Yes. That that you know, that was you know, wiped away when he went to Ole Miss. Like you're, you know, so to me, it makes sense that the numbers would go down like that. I mean, you're, you know, you're they're trying to run an up tempo, uh, no huddle type offense to kind of counterbalance any type of uh, you know, kind of talent uh, deficiencies they might have. Uh, versus you know your typical sec team um so like yeah i mean i I imagine those numbers this year are going to look a lot prettier Mm -hmm. uh and that's even with uh them being in the you know kind of first first year of this system you know i mean because keep in mind uh, you know essentially Ole Miss was 14 in offensive SP plus in 2020 and 17 last year. And that's after Mm -hmm. losing Elijah Moore to the NFL. So, you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess in what I'm saying is in terms of like maximizing that talent differential that you're going to have at OU versus the rest of the conference, you know, that's the part of it where, I think you should be able to accept maybe that per play efficiency dipping somewhat if you can, you know, make it up in volume. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to look at okay nineteen. Okay, so so this one to be a little comparison here. So for 2021 uh, on on points per play, Tennessee was 13th um uh, they play very fast uh, under hypo as well uh, according to 24 7 Tennessee was the 19th most talented team with Ole Miss being the 27th most talented team in the nation according to their team talent thing they, they have that based on the recruits how many fours and five stars and three stars all that kind of stuff um I do think Tennessee would be a more accurate reflection of getting up there I mean if OU can if OU's truly snapping them ball 70 times per game and is close to top 10 in points per play um that means OU scoring like fifty-five a game. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, like it's a lot that's time. what you're looking at. Uh, so that Tennessee, in my mind, I would want OU to be around that that 13th, that Tennessee area where it's like, yeah, we're playing a whole bunch, but we ha- we do also have a talent advantage over basically anyone we play. And because of that, more of these should get loose and, and, and more of these dudes should get loose and get deep pretty often. And then the other thing I want to talk about is the QB's uh quarterbacks of the past. So I like looking at adjusted passing yards per attempt. That's you, you, it's, you know, it's, it's your, it's, it's your average. It's your, uh, uh, what, what am I trying to say here? Attempts per yards per attempt, but then you, there's a little bit of calculation. You add, you add bonus points for touchdowns and you minus points for, uh, for uh, interceptions. Uh, Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray are both tied at 11.9 yards. Uh, Jalen Hurts, 11.3. Spencer Rattler, 8.9 what Caleb Williams nine point one, Dylan Gabriel eight point eight. Usually, that means you're you're stretch The higher the number, anything over ten is considered like elite because you're stretching the field. That means every time you attempt a pass, you're gaining ten yards, even if it's incomplete or whatever. Over the wash of it all, you're gaining over ten yards, even every time a pass is even attempted. Uh, so that's something I want to be able to see there, is seeing that verticality of everything. Dylan Gabriel at this point in time under this type of offense has been under nine yards uh, uh, per attempt on that, on that adjustment. And he would be the uh, the least vertical of any of the former uh, uh, OU quarterbacks in the last, what, seven years, it seems like, I think now, man, I'm getting older. Um, hmm. I, if if we start getting mims and stuff start stretch out there, I, I don't know. I, I guess I, asking the same question. I mean, do we see those numbers start to increase? Do we see Gabriel looking downfield? Because the stuff I'm reading and some of the Hopium type stuff I'm seeing is everyone's like, "Oh, Dylan Gabriel's got a cannon." All of Levy's offenses are chunk the ball downfield as far as you can, but the any sort of like numbers don't seem to show that. <laughs> they seem it to be somewhat of a, you know, a cut by you know death by a thousand cuts type of offense, and then every once in a while something blows open. Do, do we see more verticality? Do we think there's going to be pushing it downfield as much? Is it going to be kind of that uh uh Oakland Raiders, you know, hey, it's spread offense because we're spreading you 50 yards downfield. Mm. <laughs> I mean, or are we sideline to sideline?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that that's kind of one of the the interesting parts of this to me actually is that you know you hear so much about well, essentially you know all that they do is just throw downfield or you know power run, and I mean, yes in the sense that like when they're doing their more kind of traditional passing concepts, I mean, a lot of it is vertical, Mm -hmm. but they focus a lot on the quick game. I mean, a lot of stuff to the flats, a lot of wide receiver screens, a lot of those, you know, uh, tap passes. I mean, even when you start looking, thinking about RPOs, I mean, so many of those calls are, uh, you know, like of the five to seven yard slant variety, you know what I mean? Like, so you know, I I don't think you're going to see as many kind of um, medium, maybe would be the best way to put it, medium, um, route concepts. You know, worked into uh, worked into this offense, and so you know, I mean, it kind of makes sense to me that the that you know, even with however many x number of shots downfield they might take, you know, you're you're, you're there's not a whole lot in the middle. It's kind of you're either short or you're long. So in that respect, it makes sense that you're going to have, I guess, pardon me, you know, kind of a a lower adjusted passing yards per attempt insofar as you're doing so much in the quick game.
1: Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, do we think this, do we think this type of offense is even the offense that gets you over the top at the university of Oklahoma? I mean, it does seem like it's almost a return to pre Lincoln Riley, I mean, do we think this is even the? Let's just think stylistically. I, I guess stylistically, the offense that you win a national championship with is the offense that is you know the types that can win the offense. Like once it happens, it happens. But do we think this is what happened? Do we think this style of offense is what you need to get over the top there? I mean, we've seen the NFL. I mean, the Patriots, the last few Patriot Super Bowls were just dink and dunk all the way down the field like this. I mean, it was short or it was. Uh, James White is getting these five-yard passes <laughs> up and down the field and you just couldn't do anything about it. Well, I don't know if we've seen that. I think the quote-unquote big offense in college football now is you're just dropping 50-yard bombs now. It just seems like, I mean, all the great offenses who win these national championships, even if Seth Bennett was just dropping bombs in Alabama, It like that's where you have to attack. You have to attack that, that back end as many times and often as successful as you can do we think the sideline to sideline five yard hitch seven yard slant is going to get OU to where they want to be the cash in on number eight?
2: Well, for me, I look at it and I kind of look at this a different way. And in that, like, you know, outside of like, say like Clemson, that, that 2018 team that, uh, you know, toasted Alabama in the national championship Mm -hmm. game. I mean, most of these teams do have, uh, legitimate running threat like they can they can run the ball on teams to make mm-hmm. them respect that i think that you've seen at least a lot of these teams that do the dink and dunk thing that we talked about the you know five and seven yard I mean, or like looking back at the ou teams that really started kind of the whole uh move to the up-tempo spread they they just weren't as reliable running the ball you know i mean that's that's almost where alabama for example has really taken off as Moving, you know, implementing that, you know, guys like Najee Harris, for example, in that two thousand twenty team, implementing that element into this offense to where, you know, then you can it makes it, you know, when you can kind of you know, own the line of scrimmage and and pound turn out yards on the ground, then you can try to, to uh, take those deep shots too. So, I mean, if OU can, I, I'm not a huge fan of the of the RPO style as you know, your bread and butter of the offense. But if oh you can kind of implement that, in my opinion, where, you know, you're able to still kind of pound teams on the ground and then, you know, let that, you know, have helped it loosen up the defense that way. However that gets done to me, that's what's most important um, about, you know, whatever it is that this offense becomes.
1: Yeah, I guess that is probably the most important part of it. Because, like, the, the reasons why I have the hardest time thinking about it is because it's in my mind so um, attached like the Landry Jones era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of yards, a lot, you go fast, you mirror cat up and everything. But the issue wasn't Landry Jones. issues; issue is that the OU couldn't run the football uh, in any of the years in which he was quarterback. And he was asked to do too much. Uh, it, it, and I think, man, Gabriel. I, Go, go, go read a practice report. People are saying Gabriel looks just like the, all the other OU quarterbacks OU's had. So, I mean, if he's that good, we should be fine. But you can you can only ask him to do so much. I mean, if OU just can't move the football on the ground, then it doesn't matter. I mean, to, to a certain degree. I mean, OU will probably win the Big 12 and then get it shit shoved in. <laughs> if <it can't>, he <laughs> can't run the football, uh, I mean, he's going to have to do it. Um, and maybe the, the maybe the defensive coordinator mentality of Brent will shine through a little bit there like he did you know most offensive most defensive coordinators kind of hire in a guy who's like we're going to be a ball control you know yeah. our job is not to mess up the defense and uh brent did the opposite he did yeah. he pulled a he pulled a uh a, a bob stoops it's like let's go against for the offense i hate defending against but hopefully we see a more balanced running attack um that can help OU. I don't know. I mean, I'm not thinking about playoffs or anything like that, uh, <laughs> but just something that just seems more like a balanced football team would be cool to see. Absolutely. Matt.
0: Yeah. Like we, and like we've said about, like, I know we we're talking offense on this one, but like you fans have seen, if you don't have a defense, it doesn't matter. doesn't matter how good your offense is. does not matter.
1: Well, guys, uh, thanks for listening to this, our uh, OU uh, Offensive Outlook. We had some fun here talking about a bunch of hypotheticals. Uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, If you'd like to hear us uh, doing this some more, uh, we've got different articles coming up. We have some Q&As coming up with our founder. Uh, We have another podcast up uh, Wednesday behind our paywall. You look us up at Patreon slash through the keyhole. For $4, you get everything. Uh, It's a great way to... uh, share out some uh, other OU content. We all love it. The season's about to start. Uh, We will have a post game, uh, uh, you know, reactions. We'll uh, break down anything that we, uh, for games coming up and also listening to Brent's uh, press conferences and trying to decipher all the coach talk and what we think and what we're hearing. Uh, But come on down, please join us uh, on the Patreon. Um, If you haven't liked and subscribed to the, to this, if it's been across your feed, uh, come on, subscribe to us, give us some stars, be fantastic and share it on your guys' uh. Uh, You know, Twitter, Facebook, uh, uh, Pinterest, anything you'd like to do to kind of help us get out there, uh, we'd appreciate it. Um, For myself, Alan, and Matt, uh, I think that's everything. Matt may have one last thing for us, though. Boomer! Sooner.